0: Good evening to you. How are you doing tonight? Um, I was very um, sad not to be an Alpha weekend away. Um, I went on the last one. It was amazing. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing the stories from the Alpha weekend away. Um, if you're watching online, hello to you. If you're watching on Catch Up, um, great to have you with us. Um, today, I'm continuing the series on Encounters with Jesus. This is Jesus at a wedding. And the encounter he has is actually with a few different people. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at some one-on-one encounters. But this is Jesus in a large group of people. Now, before we get into the passage, though, I'd love to tell you a little story about a wedding reception that happened about 13 years and six months ago. Now, this wedding reception was... Uh, the wedding for itself was for about 300 people in a service. So 300 people have been invited to a wedding and they enjoyed the wedding. Then they were invited to stay after service for a bit of cake, a bit of tea, you know, a bit of fizz, all that sort of stuff that you might have had if you have been to weddings. And there was a cool jazz band in the corner playing some cool tunes. And um, the plan at the end of the sort of tea and cake after the wedding service was to make an announcement, and uh, 150 people were gonna stay for the evening, which meant that 150 people had had an invite just for the service, tea and cake, and then they had to go home, okay? That was the plan. And um, it's the opposite to what usually happens at a wedding, where you invite more people back at the end for the evening. So, with 150 people uh, having been said goodbye to, there was 150 people left uh, for the hog roast in the evening. Now, however, uh, due to a sort of a combination of a bit of an administrative error and a communication error on behalf of the groom and the best man and the ushers, the announcement wasn't properly delivered, uh, the message wasn't received by the 150, and instead of those people thinking, right, my time uh, this wedding is finished, I need to probably go home, what happened was uh, about 50 of those 150 went home, and 100 people stayed, and suddenly the hog roast uh, numbers for 150 people in the evening suddenly became around 250 people. Now, Uh, The Hog Roast was planned to feed 150 people. Suddenly, it had to feed 100 people extra. The ushers started to panic. The best man started to order the ushers around, realizing his error, and send a few of them off to supermarkets to find sausages, uh, food replacement, anything that they could find to substitute the Hog Roast, because they had to feed 100 people extra. Suddenly, at no notice whatsoever. Total nightmare. Uh, in case you're wondering, or perhaps you've guessed already, this wedding reception was actually my wedding reception. And um, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, but despite the panic, despite the, uh, the, the, the ushers did a great job, uh, they didn't have to go to the supermarket because the hog fed 250 people. Yeah. Um, it was a larger than expected hog, and we managed to feed 100 extra people at our wedding. Uh, we had an amazing time, uh, fortunately, and the band played in the evening, and we got married, and then uh, the rest is history, as they say. A couple of years later, Ney and I, having been married, were at another re- wedding reception where we sat down as guests without the pressure of having to deliver uh, food to all the people at our wedding, and... Um, uh, we were sat there, and there was an amazing, I think it was a lamb shank in front of us. We were sat eating lamb shank. And then after, after um, the speeches and during the wedding reception, they brought out—they unveiled this sort of pick and mix, unlimited pick and mix. we were like, wow, that's amazing. And then we did a bit of dancing, had the wedding reception continued. And in the break in the band, they then said, now the pizza oven's open. And everyone's like, yeah, Pizza. And then a bit later on, after the dancing had finished and everyone was going home and everyone was feeling a bit peckish, they were like, oh, we knew you'd be a bit hungry as you were going home, so we brought out some bacon rolls. Here are the bacon rolls at midnight. And it was, it, literally, it was like one thing after another. Nay and I were sort of laughing at ourselves, thinking, this is how it's done. They've, they've like thought about it, they've like laid it on, and they've gone lavish. They've gone totally over the top. And tonight we're thinking about what it is uh, when we have nothing And what it is when we have everything. And um, I'm sure you can think of moments in your life. Maybe you've planned an event that hasn't gone to plan. Maybe you've uh, run out of something. Maybe you've uh, been fretting like I was at my own wedding, thinking, ah, we've got to feed all these people. How are we going to do it? And maybe you've been at those other moments where you've just been, uh, you've had the most luxurious experience, having been uh, treated and, and everything was lavish and sort of laid upon and nothing was too much. Well, tonight we're thinking, about this whole sense of of wine in our lives, metaphorical wine, what it looks like uh, when the wine is flowing and when the wine is running out. And so this story today, this wedding in Cana, this is probably um, one of the most famous miracles that Jesus performed. If you asked someone in the street, uh, tell me a miracle that Jesus did, I reckon this is probably in the top three, probably along with walking on water. Turning water into wine is probably the other one. And it's, once, it's things that people mention, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Jesus, the guy that turned water into wine. Yeah, yeah, I know him. It's a story that's told in Sunday schools. You probably heard it at school yourself. And this is Jesus' first miracle that's documented in John's Gospel. It's like the start of his career. But it's not one that you'd expect. It's one that, you think of the provision of food. But the, the, the idea of providing wine at a wedding where there was a, a run out, you think about healing, you think about um, provision of food, but just providing wine for a party seems like a bit of an odd, uh, odd miracle to mention. But in John's gospel, this, uh, as with all of John's writing, there are many, many layers and levels to this. It's rich in symbolism. So I'm going to go through a few of these layers of what is going on here and what we can learn tonight. On one level, this is a story of rescue. This is a story of rescue. This is a village wedding where Jesus and his family, his mother and his friends have been invited. Uh, Cana was a village near Galilee, and they wouldn't have just invited the whole of Cana. They would have invited villages from around Cana. This was a sort of a culture where you don't just invite your friends, but you invite your neighbors, your neighbors' neighbors, your friends' friends, anyone that wants to come is welcome to this wedding which is probably why Mary and his mother uh, sorry Jesus and his mother Mary are invited because they were part of another village another culture and in that time and in the culture today around the world in some cultures around the world this wedding wouldn't have just lasted one day and one evening but probably two three up to a week seven days and the wine would have flowed. It would have totally flowed. In Jewish culture, wine was a massive part of life. It was part of uh, holidays and major life events. And it symbolized two things. It symbolized sanctification, that purification, getting right with God. And more importantly, it was symbolic of joy. Where the wine flowed, joy flowed. And it was customary for the host of every wedding where there was wine to have more food and more wine than was necessary so you can imagine then the total social disaster to invite your friends and your na- and your friends and your friends friends and your neighbors and uh, villages and people you didn't even know and then to not be able to provide for them was like being a thief it was it would have brought huge shame on the family huge dishonor and probably humiliation ridicule On the bride, on the groom, and on their families. So, this situation needed rescuing. Mary, the mother of Jesus, speaks to him about it in verse 3. It says, This, verse 3, they have no more wine. And Jesus sort of has this odd moment, which when you read it, and if you're a son here uh, and you speak to your mum from time to time, uh, Jesus says to his mum, This, woman, why do you involve me? Now, if I turn around and spoke to my mum like this, and if you're a mother here or if you're a son, if you, if you had your son turn around and say, woman, <laughs> I don't think I'd get away with it. Um, uh, and maybe you wouldn't accept it if you are a, a mum here to, from your son. If if Theo or, or Jasper spoke to Nay like that, I'd be like, what, what are you saying? <laughs> woman, to your mother. And I'd love to know that, that moment, what, what Mary did, because it's not her, her reaction uh, isn't really documented. Um, but, I, but then um, I think sort of that she would have responded with a sort of facial expression and sort of gone, like sort of pointed out that the fact there's no more wine. And Jesus is then uh, drawn uh, to action. He changes his mind and provides some wine. And this is not just sort of, you know, six bottles just to keep them going, another sort of case, just, you know, this is wine in the big time quantities, 130 gallons. If you're not sure what a gallon is, it's a lot. That's almost five, it's, think of it in litres, 500 litres, which is almost 650 bottles of wine. That is a lot of wine. And this is not, this is not sort of bottom shelf little wine. This is like... Waitrose finest wine, okay? This is like, we're going big time here. Normal service is resumed at the party. The celebration can go on. And people are amazed at what Jesus does and they come to believe in him. So on one surface, on one level, it's just about rescue. There was a shortage, a need. Jesus provided and the the wedding went on. But go a little bit deeper than that and you see that this is about revelation. This is Jesus revealing who he is to the people at that time. This is the first of what John calls the seven signs. And and you see it as you read the Gospel of John. This is the first of seven. It culminates with Jesus on the cross, revealing himself as the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Jesus didn't have to exercise his power in this situation, but he did. And you can read these uh, signs, these seven signs through John. Jesus revealing who he is gradually, unveiling who he is uh, the the son of God come to earth to bring the kingdom of God to earth breaking into a broken world and look at the reaction of the master of the banquet here this is the person who would have acted almost like the events manager of the wedding the person who's in charge of all the logistics and the servants His reaction is is that he is totally dumbfounded. Most people bring out the cheap wine, the little bottom shelf at this moment when people have had so much. But you've saved the best till now. You've gone big. This is incredible. By turning water into wine, Jesus is saying that I am the true master of the banquet. I am the Lord of the feast, says Jesus. So it's about rescue. It's about Jesus revealing who he is. And then thirdly, it's about renewal. This is about restoring and renewing things. It's about the people uh, in that moment and, and realizing that Jesus has come to turn everything upside down. When Jesus comes into the party, the wine flows, the joy is restored, and he brings the kingdom of God. So what what exactly happens in these moments? Well, we're going to look at the the two things that Mary says in this passage. And I'd love to focus on these tonight and uh, get us to think about where we are uh, with Jesus in our own lives, in our own faith. Where are we encountering Jesus uh, tonight? And the first is this. The first thing that Jesus hears from his mother Mary uh, before he sort of gives a little woman moment. Here, Mary says to him this, they have no more wine which is quite an obvious statement the wine had run out and she was saying to Jesus they have no more wine straight to the point a simple prayer I think often in our lives as we come to Jesus our prayers are long and convoluted and a bit confused Jesus I don't know what to pray Uh, I I don't know what to say there's all this list of things I need to ask you for this is a simple prayer they have no more wine Jesus is uh, being spoken to and and being told exactly what the problem is. Uh, Just back to our wedding day when Nay and I got married uh, 13 years and six months ago. Um, This passage was actually read and preached on at our own wedding by uh, a guy called David Bracewell, who's a vicar of our church in Guildford when we were students there. He's an amazing vicar. He's now retired, but he was an amazing, amazing speaker. And they and I remember the words that he spoke really clearly on that day when we got married. In fact, we listened to his sermon uh, of our, on our wedding day every year on our wedding anniversary. It's a little tradition that we do. We get a little CD out and we find a CD player if we can find one. If not, we chuck it in the car. and um, Not chuck, as in put it on in the car. Not Sorry, this came up wrong. Um, but on that day, David, who was speaking, said to us, we were newly married, sat in our you know, finest clothes. He said, today on your wedding day, your cup overflows with joy. Everything is perfect. Everything is as it's supposed to be. But, he said, and we remember this so clearly, he said, there will be times in your life when the wine looks as though it's running out. He said, on your wedding day, tough times might seem like a long way away. You can't imagine tough times on a day like today, but they will come. And we, that really, really stuck with us, because about four years later, 2012, we had a really, really tough year. It was um, a few years into our married life. Um, Nay was having difficulties in her job. I was having a, quite a stressful time in my job. We'd lost uh, some really close family members quite suddenly in tragic, tragic circumstances. We were trying to start a family, but it wasn't quite working. We were having sort of a real journey with fertility and really sort of confused about what that meant. And we remembered that, those words your wine will run out. And we were thinking, gosh, yes, that's the the season that we're in at the moment. We have known those seasons where the wine is low and it feels like uh, the wine is running out. And I don't know where you're at tonight in your life, in your faith, whether it feels like you've come here tonight with the wine running low in your life. Maybe it feels like, if you're honest, the wine has run out. Maybe it feels like I'm, I'm running on empty right now. Perhaps you're struggling in... Uh, a relationship or in, in your marriage or in life or in, in your job or your work. You're trying to work out uh, how to make ends meet, maybe. Maybe your life, if you're honest, hasn't quite worked out how you'd hoped. Maybe you're sat here thinking, I'd hope that I would be somewhere else or in a different situation by now. Well, When the wine in our lives runs out or is low, we need to know what to do. And what is it that we have to do? Well, I think it's to admit our need, admit our need for renewal, to utter those words for ourselves. I I have no more wine. Jesus, the wine has run out in my life. I'm sure many of you um, have seen the Charlie Maxey cartoons, the book, um, The Boy, the Horse, the Mole and the Horse, I think it is, um, in some sort of order. And, um, The Charlie Mackesy uh, cartoons are really, really famous. And and there's there's one that really, really speaks to me. And it's um, where the boy is speaking to the horse. And it says this. uh, What's the bravest thing you've ever said? Said the boy. And the horse replies, help. Help, said the horse. To say those words to God, I have no more wine, requires uh, vulnerability. It requires us to admit our need. But when we do, it's powerful and it will transform our lives. So, what happens then? Well, the second thing Mary says is to the servants. She says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. Again, quite a simple uh, request that Mary says. In other words, she's saying in this crisis, where the wine has run out, just admit the need that you have, your vulnerability, and then do what Jesus tells you. And on the back of that, the miracle occurs. When you do what Jesus says, the wine will be restored. And when it is, you'll be strengthened and renewed with joy, and you will learn and grow and move forward. And what I find amazing in this story is that the miracle didn't happen until all the wine had run out. Sometimes it requires us to come to the end of ourselves, the end of our own resources, the end of our strength and ability and wisdom for God to step in. And listen to what Jesus says. And what does Jesus say to to the uh, servants here? He says, fill the jars with water. Jesus says, take those jars. And they were probably not little jars, they were probably massive jars. That is what he says to the servants. But what does Jesus say to you? Sometimes it is hard to know for us what Jesus is telling us to do. It was fine for them because the instruction was obvious. Fill the jars with water and then they'll get turned into wine. They didn't know that necessarily. But that was Jesus' instruction to them. But he says to us, words like this, Matthew 11, Come to me. This is Jesus saying to you tonight. Come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That little passage that's Jesus speaking to, to his disciples echoes another little moment in Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55 says this, Come all who are thirsty, come and buy wine, but without money and without cost. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul delight in the richest affair. So if you're wondering what Jesus says to you, do whatever he tells you. Jesus is inviting you tonight to come to him to be renewed to have the wine in your life restored. As we are broken, as we are thirsty, as we are weary, he promises to meet us there but not to leave us there. He promises to rescue us, to reveal who he is to us and to renew us, to fill us up with the wine of his love and the wine of his spirit. Finally then, um, what I love... Uh, what I remember about David, who preached our wedding on this service, um, he said something because we briefed him in the service, basically that we had lots of our non-Christian friends in the service, and we had um, nace, uh, hospital nurse colleagues, had some of my musician friends who were very, very skeptical about being in church, and it was sort of like, I don't want to be here, uh, I like Matt, but not, not sure I like him that much to be in church, and um, Anyway, we said, to, we said to David, we'd love just a little moment where, we can, uh, where you can speak to people who aren't Christians, who are unfamiliar in church. And um, he said, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And um, he, he said this line, and again, this is stuck with me. He said, um, what was amazing about the provision of the wine in Cana is that it was for everyone. The, prov- the provision of the miraculous provision of wine was for everyone but not everyone knew where it came from. There were probably hundreds, if not thousands of people there. Some would have seen the miracle. Uh, Some would have just received the wine and thought, great, let's keep going with the party. But he said, and I remember this, he said, maybe you're here and you, you enjoy the wine of life. You enjoy the good times. You enjoy all the blessings, but you've never really thought about where they come from. You've never really thought about who provides the good things in life, the provisions, the blessings, the miraculous moments. And... He challenged people who who maybe believed there was no God, who'd say, no, there can't can't be a God. He challenged um, people in that moment to say, have you ever asked where the good things in life come from, where the the blessings come from? Have you ever wondered whether there is a God um, who could provide all the good things, all the blessings, and the abundance in life, life in all its fullness? And again, that's stuck with us as we journey together as a married couple. Um, to continue to challenge people uh, on the way. And perhaps you're here tonight thinking, do you know what, I'm not sure if I, if I do believe this. I'm not sure if I am in that situation where I believe that God wants to bless my life, that God has um, provided himself, the son of God, to show me uh, rescue and renewal in my life and restoration. Well, tonight I would encourage you to, to ask, God, if, it's, if you're real, would you make yourself known to me? Would you reveal yourself, maybe even miraculously tonight, to me? So, tonight, what we learn from this is to admit our need, to say and to bring ourselves before God, and and we're going to have a chance to do that in a second, and say, God, do you know what? The wine in my life is running out. It feels like I've got nothing left. It feels like I I need to be filled up again. The bravest thing you can say is, is help. God, I need you. God, I need you. And then, secondly, to do whatever he tells you. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you uh, wine without cost. I will give you life in all its fullness. I will restore you and renew you. So tonight, the same invitation is there for us as it was in the wedding for Cana. Um, For those guests, Jesus longs to give us life and life in all its fullness. Amen.